Well, good afternoon. I just want to, you still want to start off tonight's uh, uh, lesson for us just to say thank you to the Mission Love Committee of Women who planned an extraordinary night and all those involved serving the fathers and their daughters last night. That was truly Mission Love. That is Mission Love. I mean, it was amazing. If you guys weren't there, you walk in as a guy that gives you instructions. Handsome fellow by the name of Dan Waltman. He's in there, and then you and then you walk down this aisle, and then there's these, these like Hollywood stars on the floor, and you're thinking, ah, that's, what's that? That's kind of cute. And then you realize your daughter's name is on that star. And then there's a moment where you're like, I hope they got her name down here. Because you start to realize there's other daughters' names on that star, and you're hoping that they didn't forget your little girl. So there's a little bit of a moment of trauma for the dads. I don't know if you, if you feel that, but as dads, you feel like a little traumatized going, is there? And there she was, her name. And then we, as we looked up, like a Ryan Seacrest lookalike, by the name of Kyle, <laughs> Kyle Popik was in her, he had a microphone in her face and he was like interviewing us like as if we were somebody when we're nobody. Yes. He, start, he started to interview me. I'm like, oh, what do I say? Who's watching? <laughs> Amazing night. We had an amazing dinner, amazing dancing, just an amazing time with our daughters because we only have them for a season. My daughter, in, in a few years, she's gone. She's going to go away and she's going to probably, hopefully she'll come back for turkey dinner. I hope. But we only have them for a season. So I wanted to say thank you. Thank you for all those who really helped bring a night of love to a father and their daughters. So thank you so much. You know, we're talking about mission love a lot. We're talking about Jesus and his ministry. I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus spent three years with the men who we called to follow him. We call them disciples. And he, were, he was with them for three years and they got to see everything about Jesus. And so this is kind of our, our mission, is to really duplicate and live out this mission of love. Now, when you read the Gospels, it's always interesting to me when I, everyone I read has a little bit of a different ending. And sometimes when you grow up in church, you've been going to church a long time, the church tends to have traditions. Like I, I, I would always say growing up in church, as I said of the Bible with young men who were in college, I would say, these were the very last words of Jesus in Matthew 28. And I can recite them for you. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say, I'll be with you to the end of the age. Go and do it. And then he was, sent them on their mission. When he said that, he was in Galilee. And I always tell myself, these are his very last words. And then, but when I look in Mark, his last words were kind of similar, a little different. Mark, he said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But in Luke, the last words of Jesus were, stay in the city until you've been clothed from on high. And then what's funny in the Gospel of John, his last words were to Peter, don't worry about John. If he's going to live a long time, you don't worry about it. You'll be dead. He'll live longer. Something to that effect. Because Peter was worried that, what about that guy? Because Jesus just told him that you're, the, the kind of death he's going to face is going to be on the cross, which he was. And then he looked over at John and says, what about him, Jesus? And Jesus said, don't worry about him. If I want him to live forever, he will. So these are, the, these are the Gospels. And I was always fascinated 
with what were his last words because I believed at one point that Matthew 28 was his last words. But he was in Galilee. Let me show you a little map. If I have a little map, maybe I don't have a map for you. Galilee is north. And when he said, uh, Luke, st- uh, uh, stay here with me, he was in Bethany. He was near Jerusalem. So we really don't know which one were his last words, but these are some recordings of his last words. So what's interesting, I thought, is in Luke 24, we get a little bit of a glimpse into the last moments that, that, that Jesus had with his disciples. So I'm trying to piece together a story for you so you can see that there's different endings to the Gospels. But Luke happens to, happens to be a gospel writer. He didn't, really, he didn't walk with Jesus. He interviewed a lot of people who walk with Jesus. And this is his account. He's a doctor and he's kind of a good writer. So he wrote in verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus, this is like three days after he died. You know, he, he, he's dead on the cross and they're sad. Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, if your friend is dead and three days later you see him and he says, peace be with you, it's a little shocking. I mean, there wasn't people resurrecting from the dead back then. It was kind of shocking to see that. And so he says, and rightly so in verse 37, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said, had said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it, it, because of a joy and excitement, he asked them, hey, do you have anything here to eat? In other words, guys, hey, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Let me just find. Does anyone have any, any fish? And so they give him a piece of fish. And Jesus just chomps it down. Because remember, he was dead. Now he's alive. And it's unbelievable. So they don't really believe it's, it's Jesus. So he's trying to show them it's really him. And so he took bread or he took it and ate it in their presence. And then he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. I have no idea what that looks like, but it sounds pretty awesome. I want my mind to be open. Maybe it's a decision. I choose to be open to the Bible. Whenever I open the Bible in the mornings, I, I ch- I'm choosing to open my mind to God, the words of God breathe life into me. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe they, maybe they were hard-hearted, and maybe they just, they just got, finally got open. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed from power from on high. And when he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, which is near Jerusalem, he lifted his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple. So there's this moment where Jesus goes, raises his hands, and he blessed them. And looks at us, then he was gone. What happened? Did he disappear? Well, the good thing is that Luke actually writes a little bit more about what the apostles did after 
Jesus left. And he gives us some more details into the very last moments that his apostles had with Jesus. And it was in verse 3, it says, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. It wasn't like he just showed up and says, I'm alive, and he left. He spent 40 days around with those disciples. And he gave, it says, many convincing proofs. And he talked about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard him speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you, are you, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, are you going to overthrow Rome? Are you going to give us our, our country back, our nation back, our people back? Is this the moment? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and Oxnard to the ends of the earth. Oh, it doesn't say that? Okay. I thought it said that. You know, that word witness, it's an interesting word. Uh, uh, the, the The Greek word for that word is martyr. And we know that word because we, we read the Bible and we know Christianity and people died. But they were witnesses to something amazing and they could not help themselves to share about it. And for that, in the Roman Empire at that time, it meant death. Now, this word witness, when I looked it up, has three different layers. You are a witness in one sense. You're a witness to conflict. And in Matthew 18, Jesus says, hey, if you have a trouble with a brother, go to him one, one to one. And if you can't resolve it, you want to bring in a martyr, a witness in a sense of healing relationships. So we're a witness to our relationships. Are they well? Are they not well? Another layer of it is historical. That we're a witness to what God has done. In, in, in Acts chapter 10, Peter is, is welcoming in the Gentiles and he's a witness to the, the, not only the Jews following Jesus, but the Gentiles following Jesus. You know, in 1991, a couple with a, with a band of disciples came to Ventura County and planted the, what we know then as the Ventura County Church of Christ 27 years ago. And it's had some name changes over time, and it, now our name is Shoreline. But this church has been here for 27 years. Amen. Just think about that for a moment. You've been a, for some of you, you've been a witness to that. You've seen that in a historical sense. You've seen what God has done. Now we're, we're combined with Simi and, and, and half of Shoreline went to Simi to be part of that history. So in a, in, a, in a witness sense, in a historical sense, you have seen things. Some of you guys remember Mary and Reese Neelan. You remember Ed, and, 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 uh, Ed Townsend when he was here. You remember Steve uh, Ganser, Marici, whatever his last name is now, Brown. You laugh because you know the joke. Some of you have been here a very long time. 
So you're, you've been a witness in a historical sense. And lastly, it's used in, the, in Acts 22 when Paul recounts the death of Stephen in an ethical sense. He goes, what we did to Stephen was wrong. We killed him. And he, and he recounts, I was a witness to that. So in an ethical sense, in a historical sense, and in a legal sense of our relationships, we all have been witnesses in one form or, in, or another. And so Jesus is leaving. He spent three years with them. And the reason why he spent time with them was to prepare them for the work ahead while he would be gone. They were the, going to be the witnesses to show them how to make disciples. To show them his life. To, to, to hear his teachings. So there's a lesson for all of us disciples today. A lesson on how do we make disciples? In a traditional church sense, we would just go out there and invite people to church. We did that for many, 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 many years. And many, many, many people became disciples. I was one of them. Some guy came up to me and asked me to study the Bible and come to church. And I said, I was open. I did. I became a disciple. I have never regretted that decision 23 years later. It was an awesome decision. And that was the time of our church culture. We did it. That's what we thought was the best way. There's many ways. And sometimes when you get in a church tradition, you can think that's the only way to do something. That becomes a part of our church history and our church tradition. And, when, and sometimes when, when we got to be careful because we can, we can actually override the Bible with our tradition. Yeah. Yeah. And we got to get down to what the Bible actually says. So how you want to make disciples under the guise of following Jesus is completely up to you. Let me give you an example of what the apostles saw Jesus do to give you kind of an idea of what, and looking through one lens how Jesus was able to make so many disciples, yet he baptized no one. He made so many disciples, yet all his disciples were doing the baptizing. But there was something about Jesus that people were drawn to. And I, I think that as the apostles saw Jesus, as you look in the book of Acts, you see them try to emulate what he did. So here's the passage for us all. Look in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 14. This is a glimpse into how Jesus made disciples. He was, a, he was an unknown rabbi, came on the scene. He was a carpenter. He was a, he was a working man. He was a blue-collar guy. Okay? Worked with his hands. I think of men like Henry Bitkin. He works with his hands. Think of men like Mike Watterson. He does secret things underwater for the government with his hands. Working men. That's, that's the class. And so Jesus became this rabbi with this new teaching, this new way to look at God. He goes, I am, I am the one that God has been telling you about for years. This is me. And here is a little glimpse of what the apostles saw with Jesus. Uh, he's going around teaching and people are gathering and, they're, and he's ministering to them. And he's been there all day and people start coming and coming and coming. And um, when, you, when you do that, you get tired. If you ever have a cup of coffee with someone and just for an hour, two hours, you're listening and you're ministering, you're pretty tired. Do that three times in a day, you're exhausted. Do that all day, you're tired. It's exhausting caring for people. 
Because you're giving your heart, your attention. Hang out with the legends for an event. Afterwards, you're like, where's the bed? Because <laughs> you're, you're just, you're wiped out because you're giving. So here's that passage in verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, people were gathering and they were kept following them. Um, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. He was trying to get away from the people now. He was like, I ministered to you. I spent time with you. He knew his guys were exhausted. He was exhausted. He goes, hey, we're going to go and, and we're going to go leave. And we're, we're going to go someplace where we can be alone. Because when you're tired of ministering, you need to recuperate. When you worked hard, you need time to rest. And so hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw the crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. They were looking for rest. They were looking for a retreat. They've been doing ministry and they needed some time to chill. And they left. And people followed. And Jesus tells them, he says to them, Get yourself something to eat. We've already ministered to you. No, he doesn't say that. That's what I would have said. You know, when you come home tired from a long day of work and your children want to spend time and they're all fired up and they're all excited. And you're like, if you ain't a, if you ain't a ribeye steak and potatoes, don't talk to me. Because we're looking to go recuperate. We're looking to go get some rest. And the last thing we want to do is deal with our kids fighting. Or mom going, where have you been all day? I'm going to go crazy. Sorry, Karen. The last thing we want to do is engage that. Crowds of people following. Jesus is on, he's kind of almost on the run. He stops waiting. Let's go back. The Bible describes that word compassion, the movement of your intestinals inside. It moves you, it stirs you. And then your heart feels something, unless you're the Grinch. But there's something inside that goes, wait a minute, I gotta do something. Moved with compassion. To have one, one's inner being stirred. The word is viscera. In other words, viscerate. It's, a, it's stronger than sympathy. It's used 12 times in the gospel, and eight of them, Jesus used them. You know, when I had found out that one of our shoreline um, disciples... Anna Lucia, her brother, suddenly died. And I was just filled with compassion for the family. I couldn't help it. How does that happen? Tomorrow they bury their son. Tomorrow she buries her brother, 35. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine that. And going to her mother's house and seeing the mom, she can no longer shed any tears. She's got nothing left to shed anymore because she's already shed them. Her body can't produce anymore. 
And you don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. My heart was filled with compassion. There are other times when my heart is not filled with compassion when someone's crying. When Karen's crying and she's hurt by something, I'm filled with compassion. How you doing, honey? When she's crying because she's mad at me, I'm not so thrilled about that one. I don't really have that inner turning. It's not good. When it's my fault. But I know the feeling. When you, when you, that feeling you get once in a while you're, and you're stirred. And I was stirred to go visit her parents. If you're wondering to yourself, I haven't felt that in a long time. In fact, I haven't felt that in years. It may be because you're hard inside. You've hardened yourself over time not to feel. You've trained yourself not to feel. You've comforted yourself in feeling, I'm not going to feel that because it's too much. And so at times we train ourselves not to be full of compassion. Because we know it means when you're tired, I want to chill. And this was the moment where Jesus has got been ministering all day, fed them. Okay, let's go do this, guys. Let's do it some more. That inspires people. That moves people. You know, you know all I could hear from Anna Lucia was, was the dinners that you guys brought her family. It's a softened hearts. Because they know you work all day, you come home, you got to make... They know how hard it is. They know how difficult that is. I just want her to see her smile. When someone was crying, you don't know what to say. I, I learned this from going to a spiritual care class. When someone is grieving a, a, a loss of a child or a parent, usually I just stand there like an awkward uncle, not saying anything. Because what do you say when someone's, uh, my parents are alive. I haven't, I haven't faced tragedy like that. What do you say? I can't say I relate. That'd be an insult. I know how you feel. No, I don't. But what I learned was, what's your favorite memory of your son? And right away, she went, oh, man, this moment, oh, it just changed the way she thought just for that moment. There's a little window. I said, oh, man, this is, must have been what Jesus was doing all this time, just helping people, encouraging, healing people. You know, that word compassion is used in the parable of the, of the unmerciful servant. And it's a story about a guy who owes this, this one boss a lot of money. And he can't repay it. He just can't in his lifetime. So the guy goes, don't worry about it. Then that guy turns around and goes to a guy who owes him a few bucks and shows no mercy. The story is the, the master was filled with compassion toward his situation and released him of his obligation. And then he was angry because he didn't do the same. A lot of times we're hard-hearted because we're, we don't detect our own sin in our life. We don't detect our need for mercy. We live life not, not wanting or needing or even thinking about that I, we need mercy. And sometimes that can harden you too. The moment we turn and we realize, man, I need mercy, it's a lot 
easier to give compassion. It's a lot more... It's an it's a, it's a off-ramp or on-ramp to go, I can do this. I know what it feels like to need this. I need compassion. I want compassion. When two blind men came to Jesus, there's that word again in Matthew 20, he was filled with compassion. When the leper came to him in Mark chapter 1, filled with compassion on the inside. In Luke 15, the prodigal son, when he comes back, says the father was filled with this guy was going crazy out there he was going nuts and when he came back the father was filled with compassion and the older brother was judgmental and I thought to myself how many times am I the older brother oh now they want to come back hmm, I hope they learned their lesson versus being filled with compassion I remember Rodrigo's father two years ago passed away. He came here to die. But he came here to die as, as a disciple. That was so intense. Me and Marie were talking about it. Going, that was intense. At his age to say, I want to do it. And I thought of the parable of the vineyard. The parable of the vineyard means the guy who got there first worked all day and then the guy came at the very, very end and, and then he got the same wage. And the guy in the, in the beginning is like, what's up with that, Lord? And God says, hey, whether you came early or late, it's all the same. I'm the one who gives it out, not you. Isn't this amazing? It's been two years. I know it's been two years. Amazing. The things that we have seen, the glimpse that these disciples get into the life of Jesus was that one, number one, and it's my only point of lesson, is be compassionate. You want to make disciples? Be compassionate to people. Show compassion. When you're at your end, sometimes is when you're usually called to be compassionate. I mean, I'd love to be compassionate on a full stock of energy. It'd be great. But usually when I have to go do it, it's at the end of a long day. Going to a hospital, going here, have a long day, and then give. Man, that was what's one way of making disciples. And when you're compassionate to people, there's something magical that happens. They start to want to be around you. They want to know what you're doing. Hey, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I was just going to go, okay, want to get some lunch? Sure. Lately, I've had friends try to contact me to hang out with me. Usually, I'm the one calling them. But you know what? I, I stopped inviting people to church. For the last six months, you're thinking, man, you're the minister. I've stopped asking people to come to church. I started being compassionate with them in, in my life. And what I found for me is that they want to be around me. And if they want to be around me, I'm here at 4 o'clock on Sundays. But they want to be around me. Sometimes when I go share my faith, People don't want to be around me. I annoy them. Here it comes to you again. Watch, I bet you church. Hey, how's it going? As if they're moved by that. What I found is when I go serve people and show compassion, there's something about that ministry that Jesus was teaching. Because our church had created a culture of just go share, which was awesome. I was, but I noticed times have changed a little bit. 
When you show compassion, people lean in a little bit more. They want to know who you are. Why are you doing this? It's important. Jesus here at the end will close out. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the village and buy themselves some food. That's me right there. Jesus. It's practical, man. We're tired. They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and two fish, looking into heaven. He gave thanks, broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples. The disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men. And that's besides the women and the children. Wow. He's tired. He's compassionate. He was different than any rabbi they'd seen before. And I want you to be different than any other Christian that your friends have seen before. I want you to be different because of your compassion. Not because you think you, you know the Bible, but because of your compassion. I would want to see your friends and people you interact with know the difference. This person is different. He's compassionate. In a selfish world, he gives. Wow. And people were moved. So much where 5,000 plus had to get fed. That's the mission. That's mission love of Jesus. That's just a one little filter of how you can live your life. So I call the church this week to be filled with compassion. Thank you and that concludes our service.